they have the original sin which is the sin which was uh, committed by adam and eve that is called as the original sin and then every person who is born a christian is born in that sin so even before the uh, fetus has uh, done there is only one birth basically in christianity so before being born before doing anything at all the uh, baby is a sinner so uh, every every person is born in that sin and because everyone is a sinner uh, he has to or she has to they they have to believe that jesus christ had given up his life or he has suffered for the sins of humanity for the sins of mankind what about gandhi ji gandhi ji was such a great person but he was not a christian so what what happens to him so uh, they said that however good he was he would have gone to hell because he did not believe in christ then there is this some uh, sect of christianity uh, who uh, baptized mahatma gandhi after his death posthumously and then they declared that now that he is a christian he has a place in uh, heaven for him so there there is a lots of like you know there are so many questions about this and those are not really answered well today my topic is going to be a good hindu a description of good hindu and a good christian so who is a, a good hindu who is called a good hindu who is called a good christian what is the definition and what makes them want to be good so what are the teachings in uh, the hindu religion what are the teachings in the christian religion which make uh, the people the followers want to be a good hindu or a good christian so this is the overall topic we will be looking at both these definitions we will be comparing between them and uh, that that will just give us a overview of these two terms and how the religion drives persons or drives people to be good to start with who is a good hindu we will start from here which is our uh, familiar ground so a good hindu is called as a papa bhiru like you know we, uh, we hear people saying this this thing like uh, such and such person he is a papa bhiru person he is innocent he won't hurt a fly so that kind of a person is called papa bhiru the word papa bhiru means pap pap is uh, uh, he who will not do pap he who is afraid to do pap he who will you know shy away if a uh, incident so happens that he has to do pap he will rather run away from that place such a person is called as a papa bhiru person so what is pap we must understand the first thing is pap is not sin sin has a religious context and uh, sin is a behavior which goes against the commands of god that is sin pap is something different what is pap so it is defined in this one shloka this is one definition there will be many definitions but this uh, definition is also good enough so this definition is it comes in one shloka which says ashtadasha puraneshu vyasasya vachanadvayam paropakarah punnyaya papaya parapidanam so uh, uh, it is uh, believed that all the 18 puranas they were written by vyasa rushi and uh, the summary of all of it 
the 18 puranas they run into 4 lakh shlokas so it's a huge repository but from that huge repository if somebody has to take out the summary so that summary comes in just these two vachan in these two statements and those two statements are paropakara punnyaya papaya parapidana so what is punya punya is doing paropakar so doing something good unto others helping somebody who is in need helping the sajjan that is paropakar that is punya whereas doing something bad unto others that is pap very simple definition in this um, we also see like you know later on saints uh, they also have defined punya and pap in a similar way so there is uh, uh, sant narsi mehta he says vaishnava janato tene kahiye pid parai janire paradukhe upakar kareshu man abhimanana aire so what he is saying is that uh, if you do paropkar paropkar is punya if you do paropkar you should forget it you shouldn't even remember it you shouldn't feel very proud about helping others so a hindu is told that if you feed a hungry person if you give somebody a bag of rice forget it don't expect him to do something for you in return that is punya and pap is doing uh, doing something bad unto others giving somebody dukha that is pap so somebody else is your spouse your children your parents your family so if you are giving them dukha that is pap it goes beyond your family as well so if you are giving dukha to the people in your community that is pap if you are hurting not just humans but even if you are hurting animals if you are hurting cats and dogs and cows and cattle or lamb that is also pap and this uh, definition it even includes not just animals and plants but it also includes the pancha mahabhuta so it means that if you pollute the earth that is also pap if you pollute the water sources that is also pap so this definition of pap is uh, it is not exclusive it is a very generalistic uh, definition which says you shouldn't give dukha to anybody else that is pap so this is how a papabhiru person is a papabhiru person will be afraid to give dukha to anybody else but why why should he be afraid why should somebody be afraid of doing pap and that is explained by the karma siddhanta which is given in the hindu dharma so uh, this karma siddhanta says that if you do something good you will get good results you will get good fruits and if you do something bad you will get bad results so this is the cycle of karma that whatever you do you will get results if you are hungry you eat food you are going to gain strength so you got that results right away sometimes you don't get results right away but you get results after a year you study for one whole year and at the end of year you are going to get good marks because you have studied so you are going to get the fruits of your work today right away maybe tomorrow and if not tomorrow maybe a year later and if not a year later maybe 10 years later 
and if not 10 years later it will be in the next birth but you are going to get the fruits of whatever you do that is the karma siddhant so the uh, cycle of birth and death goes around the karma that we have done so if there is so much karma which of the fruits of which i haven't availed then that karma goes into my bank account and every time an atma takes birth the atma will withdraw some of that sanchit karma it is called atma will withdraw some of that and that will become the prarabdha so throughout this life with the help of the body the atma is going to exhaust the prarabdha the atma has brought so the atma will be uh, gaining the fruits of the karma which was done earlier so the a person who has taken birth he will uh, get sukh and dukha based on whatever karma he has done before and once the prarabdha ends then it means death and at the end of this life whatever karma has been done in this life it will be accumulated in the big account of karma so it will again go into the sanchit karma so this is that cycle which tells a hindu person that if you do paap you will have to avail the fruits the bad fruits of your paap you will have to avail it today if not today tomorrow if not tomorrow in your next birth but whatever you do you will have to pay for it so this makes a hindu person think twice think thrice before he does a paap before he gives dukha to somebody else now this karma siddhanta and this uh, cycle of life and birth the salient feature of this is there is no god no god is involved i take the responsibility of everything that i do i am accountable for all my sukha dukha i don't blame anybody else so in this there is no god there is no judgment nobody is going to judge whether i have done right or wrong based on that judgment nobody is going to give me a punishment or a reward and there is no bribe of heaven or there is no threat of hell without all of this the hindu dharma ensures that a person will behave in a good way a person will behave in a ethical way and this comes through this framework of karma siddhant and this is accepted in uh, hindu in uh, bauddha jain and sikh thought as well so hindu is including all these pantha this this is what makes a person papabhiru so this is this is a theory right siddhanta the karma siddhanta is a theory which is put forth by rushis and this is put forth by rushi munis what about the devata what do the devata say about this to so we see in uh, gita in bhagavad gita bhagwan that is the dev krishna he uh, talks to arjun about karma yoga bhagwan says karmanne vadhikarase ma phaleshu kadachana you have the right to do your work you have the right to do the action but once you do the action you have no right on what the result will be the result will be automatic for example when you have hold a bow and an arrow in your hand you have the right you have the adhikar to throw that arrow towards the target but that is all the right you have that is the time when you have control but once 
the arrow leaves the bow then you do not have the right to say that you know the arrow should reach the target or arrow should miss the target once it goes out you don't have the right you have right only on your karma and so do your karma so there is so much in gita about karma where uh, krishna says yogastha kuru karmani do your work and uh, do your work being steadfast in yoga or uh, krishna says yoga karmasu kaushalam so doing your work skillfully that is that is yoga so uh, do your work very well that is what gita teaches so this is the hindu devatas they also speak about the karma siddhanta and when krishna is giving this advice to arjun we see that krishna is speaking as a arjuna's friend philosopher and guide krishna says bhaktosi me sakha cheti krishna says arjun you are my friend you are my follower you are my very dear friend and i am giving you this advice as a friend so when god is giving advice it is it is a friendly advice it is not commands he is not giving orders he is not giving commands he tells all of this geeta and at the end of telling geeta he says to arjun that i have revealed this treasure to you now you reflect upon it and do as you wish yethechasi tatha karu so he leaves the decision to the follower he leaves the decision to his devotee so there are no commands no orders what we see is friendly advice and while krishna is giving this advice we see that arjun is asking questions so in the beginning when krishna speaks about karma and he speaks about gnana yoga as well arjun says to him what do you mean by this why are you confusing me you tell me do karma and then you say gnana yoga is better than karma yoga what is this tell me one thing that i should do don't confuse me so arjun is very openly very open mindedly without any fear he is asking questions to the dev he is asking questions to bhagwan and even krishna says in geeta he encourages arjun to ask questions krishna says tadviti pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya ask me questions and then learn this advice from me so krishna and arjun they have spent their childhood together they have spent so much time together they have had so much uh, free time but that but Kr- uh, krishna did not tell geeta at that time krishna is telling geeta on the battlefield why because it was only on the battlefield that arjuna asked him for advice it was only on the battlefield that arjun asked questions and that is why uh, the bhagwan revealed all this knowledge we will see the same thing in all the hindu scriptures so if we look at upanishad they are also in a question answer format so there are students and there are guru so students ask questions and guru gives the answers and that is how all the uh, scriptures they Uh, tell us about the philosophy of hindu religion so what we see in all of this is the very open relationship between the listener between the devotee between the follower between the student and the teacher the guru or that guru could also be a dev who is krishna for example bhagavad gita so this is the relation that we see between the teacher and the student now we come to the second part and let us now understand who is a good christian this is a very commonly used term in uh, english 
where uh, people say you know such and such person is a god fearing person and a god fearing person is somebody who wouldn't hurt others so a good christian is a god fearing person a god fearing person is the one who obeys the god he does exactly what the god has asked him to do so where are the instructions from god they are in the bible and uh, why should one you know god fearing that is the description of a good christian but why should one fear the god it is because the bible tells so the bible tells that a follower a devotee should be afraid of the god and this is mentioned in the bible more than 300 times so now let us take a quick look at what the bible is bible itself means books a set of books and there are two categories of these books there is the old testament and the new testament the word testament means a contract it is a contract between god and his followers so like any other contract it has conditions it has conditions for the party a and it has conditions for the party b and if anybody is going to not follow those conditions then uh, like you know the contract is broken and there will be a punishment for breaking those terms in the contract so we have old testament and new testament old testament has 39 books new testament has 27 books in the old testament the five most important books are the books of law which speak about how a follower of the lord should behave the do's and the don'ts it all comes in these five books and then there are other books which are about the lives of the prophets there are histories which speak about the works of uh, kings and then there is poetry and prayers all of this comes in the old testament which is the jew part the hebrew bible and then after the death of jesus christ the followers of jesus christ came up with the next part which is the new testament and this new testament has uh, gospels these are four books which speak about the life and works of jesus christ then there are uh, acts of apostles which are the which are about the works of the disciples of jesus christ and there are epistles which are the letters that have been written to church and lastly there is the book of revelation which speaks about what will happen when uh, christ comes again so this is the uh, scope of bible so now when we are thinking of 66 books let us understand how big it is you will see that uh, old testament has 39 books and it has about 23000 verses new testament has 27 books and it has around 8000 verses so entire bible is 66 books with 31000 verses so this these are like you know small books so one can read all of this in probably a month so it is possible that one can just simply read the whole of bible and uh, for comparison here are some of the uh, indian dharmic books so you can see that you know there are so many books and there are so many verses like for example mahabharat has 1 uh, lakh shlok or the mahapuran have 4 lakh shlok and then there are upanishads the books itself number more than 200 or agama text there are more than 500 books in the agam text and then there are so many others i am not even including the uh, uh, buddha 
the literature and the jain literature so there is so much of text which is available and uh, all of this text it is not possible to read in one lifetime so the point here is bible you can read it within a month and uh, you will get the complete overview after reading the bible about the bible uh, the christianity so these are the books of old testament we will be taking a look at some of the verses which come in uh, genesis and uh, exodus and deuteronomy and these are the books of new testament now we come to the part in bible which is called as the 10 commandments this is the most important part in the bible probably because it is telling about the commands which have come from god so these commands were given by god himself to moses and moses brought it to the people so in these commands the second command it says so this is god who is speaking and god is telling that you should not bow down to any other gods you should not worship any other gods and if you do so i don't like it because i am a very jealous god and if you do so i will punish you i will not only punish you but i will punish the children i will punish your children i'll punish your grandchildren i'll punish your great grandchildren also just to compare in uh, the rugved we have this teaching which says ekam sat vipra bahuda vadanti meaning that the god is one but people call him by different names so there can be many gods and even if there are so many gods and if you bow or if you worship to any god it is said that sarva deva namaskaram keshavam pratigachati so even if you pray to any god the uh, greetings they will go to keshav only so this uh, name keshav can be replaced by any name name of your god so it could be raghavam pratigachati it could be ganesham pratigachati so this is the mindset of a hindu that wherever you go and you pray that prayer is going to go to your loved god only but in the 10 commandments what we see is that no other god is to be worshiped and if you worship any other god the uh, lord is going to get very angry and there is an example of this in bible itself in genesis there is the story of uh, adam and eve so uh, in this story you know god creates uh, light and then god creates the earth and later god creates sun and moon and stars and then uh, water and plants and animals and then on the sixth day god creates man god creates adam in his own image and uh, after he creates adam he thinks that adam needs some companion he is very lonely and he needs a companion so god creates uh, eve the first woman from the rib of adam so we see here that adam is the image of god so the male is the image of god and the woman is created from a crooked rib rib so it speaks about the view towards women in christianity anyways but after he creates adam and eve he lets them go in the garden of eden and he tells them go enjoy yourself but don't eat the fruits of this tree of knowledge so then adam and eve they are uh, like you know wandering around in that beautiful garden and enjoying themselves but then one day what happens is a serpent comes over there and the serpent tempts eve to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge so eve eats that fruit and she also gives that fruit to uh, adam 
and when there they have disobeyed the god this is the sin this is called as the original sin so eating the fruit is not such a great thing but disobeying the god is the crime and because of this the god gets very angry at adam and eve and he curses them now when the god curses them god says to adam henceforth you and your descendants you will have to toil in your farms in your lands so that you will be able to create food for yourself and uh, he curses eve saying that you will be cursed with pain during childbirth and you will always be subordinate to the man so this curse is not just for adam and eve but this curse is for the descendants of adam and eve so the sin has been done by the adam and eve but the descendants they have been cursed so the male descendants they have to toil they have to work this there is again this difference between the view towards work in over here we see in the story of adam and eve that doing work doing efforts toiling in the field is a punishment whereas in the indian context in the hindu context karma is a yog karma yog by doing your work you are going to reach uh, self realization so there there is this one difference again anyways so what has happened over here in the story of adam and eve is that sin has been committed by adam and eve but who is uh, cursed it is their descendants here is another example from the bible and this is from the deuteronomy chapter 10 this chapter also tells that uh, tells the followers that you must be afraid of the god you must be fearful of the god and you must walk in obedience you must follow his commands so such kind of verses you will find everywhere in the bible here is another one fear the god and what does this one say uh, deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24 it says that he when somebody is not afraid of the god anymore the god is going to you know wipe you out from this earth and as an example there is the story of noah so this story of noah says that uh, people they have forgotten the god they are not fearful of the god anymore they are not following the commands of the god and so the god gets angry at them and decides to finish them off and for that god brings in great flood but then he realizes that noah and his family they are fearful of the god and they are obeying him so god tells noah that he should build a ship and then he should uh, like you know he will be saved from the flood so that is what noah does and then everybody is wiped off from the face of the earth and then again humanity continues with the descendants of noah this is the story which comes in bible we see a similar story of manu manu and the floods in the indian lit, uh, scriptures but uh, in this there is a subtle difference and that difference is um, in the story of manu the god is not bringing the flood god is only saving manu from the flood so that is a difference okay what we understand from this uh, verse of deuteronomy is that when a follower forgets god god will destroy him this is what is taught through uh, the story of noah and then here is another one 
another command which comes again in deuteronomy and here the god is saying that if you are not fearful of the god and if you don't serve him only it if you are serving any other gods then the god will destroy you from the land and we will find many examples of this in the stories of bible itself the ultimate example of this is seen in deuteronomy chapter 28 this chapter has 64 verses and in the first 14 verses they speak about uh, what will happen to you if you obey the god so if you obey the god he is going to bless you he will bless you with children he will bless your uh, cattle with calves and he will bless your fox with the flocks with the lambs and uh, you will get lots of grains there will be abundance you will be the head the head of the community etc so all of these blessings will come to you if you obey the god and then the next part from uh, verses uh, actually 14 to 64 they speak about what will happen to you if you don't obey the god what will happen if you don't obey the god if you uh, are going to pray to any other gods uh, then what will happen god will send plagues upon you plague is something like an epidemic what today we are seeing with corona it is something like that so god will send fearful plagues upon you and all of these uh, curses they are for the person who has disobeyed so he will send disasters upon you the god will give you lingering and severe illnesses and then you will be afflicted with boils from the top of your head to your toe and these boils will be you know filled with pus and all and they will it will be uncurable and uh, when you die your body will be eaten by birds and wild animals so these are the curses which are given to the person who is disobeying the god but not just that person god says i will even curse your family i will curse your wife your children so uh, the next verses in the same chapter they say that if you disobey the god your woman will be raped by another man god will send fearful plagues upon your children so your children will also have to pay for your sin and not only will god curse you but god will curse your children the children of your cattle and the children of your sheep as well your fields they will be attacked by locusts uh, locusts so you will not have anything to eat at all and it will please the god to ruin and destroy you so this will this is what will happen to the family of the person who disobeys and not just that even the community of this person will be cursed so what are the curses for the community it uh, god says that uh, you will be defeated by the enemies and you who, there will be a genocide because you who are so numerous as the stars in the sky will be left few in number so very few of you will be left all the rest of them they will die and you will be uprooted from your land and uh, you will find no resting place for your foot there will be no shelter on your head and uh, you will live in constant fear when the night falls you will be afraid you will want the night to end and when the day begins you will be again dreading when this day will end so you will live in constant suspense and fear and uh, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and poverty you will have to serve your enemies and when and god will send you back to egypt 
uh, Egypt because that is from where God had saved the Jews earlier. So God will send you back to Egypt and into slavery. But even there, what will happen is when you try to sell yourself, nobody is even going to buy you. So these are the calamities that will fall upon the community of the person who disobeys the God. So here you will see that this framework it makes anybody it makes very difficult to stop believing in the God or to pray any to pray to or to bow to any other God because if some one person is doing that. his family is going to suffer his community is going to suffer so everybody from that family from that community they are going to hold on to this person and not let him do anything which is against the bible so this is the fear which we will see in bible and now we come to this what is sin so basically sin is disobedience of god so not obeying the god is a sin and for that sin you will have to face the wrath of the god and then there is one very unnatural law you can say in um, in which we see in the bible and what it says is that if you have done a sin but you repent for it and you confess your sin then you will be forgiven by the god and once you are forgiven your sins will be wiped out so this is saying like something you know um, we have this newton's law for every action there is a equal and opposite reaction so if there is a action there has to be a reaction but this law says that even if you do a sin you will not get any results from it you will not suffer from it so this is kind of an unnatural law very very opposite of what the karma siddhanta tells us let's see like you know we have seen examples of what this fear uh god fearing uh, persons have had to do in bible but even in the modern times we see that there are people who fear to go against what is written in the bible for example there are as many as 13 states in the usa that have or have had debates and court cases on teaching darwin's theory of evolution in school because bible tells a different story of creation bible tells that a man is created in the image of god and here darwin comes telling that man has evolved from monkeys and apes so uh, so many people they don't want to teach uh, theory of evolution darwin's theory of evolution in schools or there are so many christian countries which do not allow abortion and they don't allow abortion because again the same thing because bible says that man has been created in the image of god and the fetus which is in the womb of a woman that is the image of god and hence even if that pregnancy is going to be life threatening for the mother uh, abortion is not allowed and we uh, there was this very uh, well known case of dr savita happalanwar from ireland who died because of complications during childbirth during a miscarriage and she was not allowed an abortion that is why she died so this this these are the things that we see even today what happens to people who like you know who are god fearing in modern times over the last actually over the last 400 years many people have given up their belief in god when they started seeing like you know these are the things which are happening because of the fear of god they started giving up the belief in god and we see this in 
uh, Western countries like in the USA and even in Europe. The thing in um, Christianity is that once you give up God, you have actually given up Christianity. There is nothing else in Christianity to be offered to people who don't believe in God. In contrast, in Hinduism, you can be a Aastic and a Nastic. You can be, you can believe in God, you cannot believe in God, whatever. You still remain a Hindu. But in Christianity, it is completely centered around the God. And if you don't believe the God, you simply get thrown out of the religion and you become an atheist. So there are so many people who say they are atheist. And once they become atheist, again, the new problems that come with this are, how does one make an atheist person be ethical? How, what is it that will ensure that he will be moral? And there are these discussions about how to bring in ethics without God. So this is like reinventing the wheel. How to bring in ethics without the concept of God. And we have seen that this concept is already there in the Karma Siddhanta. Where uh, you whatever you do, you will have to pay for it. So you will get either bitter fruits or the sweet fruits of your work. And there is no God, no judge. There, is, there are no rewards and no punishment. You are simply responsible for everything that is happening in your life. So you take up that responsibility and do good. So this is the Papa Bhiru part and in the God-fearing part, we see that a person has to believe in the God, he has to follow the commands that have been given by the God and he who obeys, he will be blessed, he who doesn't obey, he will get punished and those who obey after death, after the day of judgment, they will eternally live in heaven and those who do not obey, they will eternally live in the hell. And lastly, there is another way out of all of this by confessing your sins and repenting and getting forgiveness. So this is the overall summary, uh, a difference between uh, definition for a good Hindu and a good Christian. And I will stop over and if you have any questions, we can talk about it. Dipali ji, when you mentioned the Old Testament and the New Testament, you used words like Navakarar, Navikarar and something else. So mm -hmm. are these uh, Hindi words or Marathi words, the terminology? Yeah, the, this is a Marathi word. It is the Marathi name for uh, testament. So testament is a contract. So it is Karar and uh, Old Testament is Juna Karar and New Testament is Navakarar. So it is just the Indian name given to these set of books. And I was also reading some articles in Hindi, uh, which are basically based on the Bible. And I could not make out what it means. Like, uh, what are they called in uh, Hindi? Any idea? Yeah, the Hindi names are very different because like, you know, Joshua becomes Yeshua. And uh, the, those names are really pretty different. Like even in Adam and Eve, it will become Adam and Hawa. So uh, and and even like our father in heaven and all becomes Swargiya something Pita something like that. Yeah. While in yeah. Hindi Swargiya means dead. So something <laughs> like that. Uh, so it was a little yeah. confusing. So I just wanted to maybe. Yeah, the translations really, you know, they don't give the correct meaning, and uh, 
we really cannot translate dev to god or we cannot translate dharma as religion because all these terms they have such a different meaning for example like you know when we speak dev dev is something which comes from the root uh, div which means something which is bright a source of energy that which gives light and light is knowledge so that is what is the meaning of dev and that doesn't really apply to god so uh, these these terms are very different and we should really not translate them into you know indian languages or the other way around wonderful talk and uh, before i start anything i must compliment you have a very soothing voice i mean yes the lecture was very interesting but hearing you it was really a privilege uh, my question ma'am and i'm so sorry for a little disagreement here uh, maybe it's a choice of phrase of words when you said uh, the shloka that you said which is about there are multiple gods your god can be different from mine but the shloka isn't the shloka about satya so your satya can be different from my satya and my satya can be that there is no god my satya can be there is a karma yoga my satya can be something else and uh, for this if i have to root back um i'm so sorry i'll just go a little bit uh, is it okay if i talk a bit mm-hmm. um for example uh, when we talk about uh, you know the abrahamic religions today's sanatanis approaches we often dismiss it and we say okay these are the religions that came from the deserts these are the people who were ignorant but i think these are the people who were not ignorant like our sages they also went out they also explored and what they realized is that there is no uh, god now the point is that you come back and you tell people now the point is that what truth you tell the people you tell them there is a god and these are the commandments that i have received or you take the sanatani approach and you come back and say that uh, no there is no true you know there is no god but yes there is you know there is higher consciousness that you have to go and explore so these are the two different approaches so if you could just speak a little bit about it and um, i have another question i am not sure if it is related to the topic or not um, there is a very interesting conversation that goes on wherein people say that uh, when we talk about the adam eve and the garden of uh, whatever the garden is called right the fruit of knowledge is of course what really is the truth and the snake is actually a depiction of uh, in a crude way you can call pagan in a refined way we'll call something like sanatani to say that please go and find out what it is um you know so the god discourages and says that do not listen to the snake it's the evil i am giving you the things on the platter and you're supposed to follow this and be a good one so if you could just speak a little about it thank you yeah uh, thank you jashoda ji um uh, you spoke about ekam sat vipra bahuda vadan so uh, Uh, you are speaking about satya so uh, satta sat is uh, that which is beingness isness that is sat and uh, when we speak about god and we also say you know like uh, the eternal truth yeah so there is there isn't anything like you know your truth is different my truth is different or something like that it is eternal truth so the supreme truth that you can say is uh, the sat and uh, that and your second question was about the um fruit eating eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge um that fruit was basically to give the knowledge of what is good and what is bad so uh, by eating that fruit 
Adam and Eve, they would come to know what is right and what is wrong. So what happens is after eating that fruit, they realize that they are naked and then they hide in the trees when uh, God comes to see them because they realize that they are, uh, they are naked and that is not good probably. So uh, that that is um, the fruit of the tree of knowledge. This in the Indian context is the Vivek, being able to uh, differentiate between what is right and what is wrong or what is Sat and what is Asat. It is Sad Sad Vivek Buddhi or it is the Sarasar Vivek or it is called Atmanatma Vivek. Being able to differentiate between what is uh, temporary and what is permanent. So, um, and this, uh, just uh, uh, Shankaracharya, he speaks about all of this in his uh, Vivek Chudamani. So, uh, this knowledge, knowledge of what is right and wrong, that is, uh, that is Vivek. And uh, so that uh, snake is a evil, evil. He, he is devil who comes and tempts uh, Eve to do something against the wishes of God. This superiority complex that the God holds, does it also reflect in their actions? You know, uh, I know the colonialism that happened was economic, but also what drives that, uh, you know, that uh, economic, uh, you know, greed in them also and to uh, probably civilize everybody. I'm not going into the political domain. I'm just going purely psychologically. Does that also affect this whole bullying uh, racism that happens in uh, in Western countries and also their approach towards the whole world. There are multiple parts to this. One part is that, you know, this uh, missionary concept where people think that everybody who is not a Christian, they are going to hell. And they must help people from not going to hell. And that is why they must convert everybody into Christianity. So this work which is done by missionaries, many of them, it is based on um, uh, it is based on goodness actually it comes from inner goodness that i want to do something good for you and you should become a christian and then you know it will uh, take care of your afterlife so that is one part second part is uh, bible also speaks about this that when god created uh, people he said to them that you know now i have created all of these plants and animals and fish and uh, birds you go and rule so you rule upon the animals, you rule upon the land. So that is uh, that is one view which uh, came into the followers of uh, Christianity amongst all the people who were uh, the Europeans, the colonialists. So they had that view. There is one more thing, which is that uh, from the church, when the Spanish people and the Portuguese people, they were uh, searching for new lands. They went to the Catholic Church, to the Pope, and asked them, like, you know, what are we to do? Uh, we all we want all the land. But then the Pope says that uh, he, uh, the Pope divided the land in two parts. That one part will be for the these uh, China, uh, these uh, uh, people, and the other part will be for the Portuguese. And uh, what the Pope really tells them is that yes, you go to those lands and. Uh, he this this is a person who is a dharma guru yeah he he is a teacher he is a great teacher but instead of telling that go there learn something teach something visit those places find out what is new so instead of saying that what uh, has been given in that decree is that uh, go and rule plunder 
enslave the people over there these are the commands which are given and this applied to all the colonialists who came to africa who came to india who came to australia america everywhere they simply just followed it in fact even the division of africa uh, into various countries drawing all those uh, borders of the countries that was also based on this uh, belief that once i discover a land it belongs to me and uh, in some ways it is uh, the catholic church the popes who helped in this feeling how shri krishna talks about the karma yoga in the gita and uh, they don't understand the concept of karm they think that every single thing we do like eating drinking sleeping is also karm you know they'll say hum to apna karm kar rahe hain aur hum to bahut hum kisi ka harm nahi karte hum to they don't understand the difference between karya kriya and karm you know like in the in the vedas the karm kand was all about the yagya and doing good things to offer to the god uh, shri krishna really defined that in the in the gita uh, for the for the contemporary settings and karm you cannot equate it to kriya and karya good question uh, basically uh, when all of this has been defined like you know uh, during the vedic times the yagya were defined and yagya was the pancha mahayagya were defined as the karma and then later on what was done was uh, in the later times we see that this uh, pancha yagna mahayagna they have been defined for every person and various dharma have also been defined and all of this together they define what the karma should be so they uh, define like for example the pancha maha uh, yagna they tell that you have to do the uh, bhuta yagna so bhuta yagna is being kind and helping the animals so uh, you have to do bhuta yagna daily then there is pitru yagna so you have to like you know take care of your parents and the elders in your family your ancestors on a daily basis you have to do that then there is uh, brahma yagna which says that you know you have to study daily you cannot just like you know i am done with my studies and finished i got my degree that is not the case daily you have to study so that is the uh, yagna of shabda so that is the brahma yagna which has been told so like that uh, various uh, things that have to be done by a person that have been defined and along with that there is also the dharma which is defined which says that you know like manav dharma is this these are the things you should do or if you are a putra so these are this these are the duties and responsibilities of a putra if you are a father these this is the dharma of pita this if you are a king this is the raja dharma so all of these things that are defined which tell what the karma you should be doing and uh, yeah i think that that will help to understand that what what karma actually is very very interesting talk and i must thank sangam talks for organizing all these talks now i want to ask a question you know even i feel the bible has given very limited uh, you know knowledge or understanding our our culture and our indian dharam is so vast and it's so beautiful but somehow okay the muslims convert forcefully but the bible has spread to africa and far off places how come hindu dharam has never spread so much and why is nobody doing it because it is such good knowledge the world needs this knowledge so i think it is our duty to uh, you know spread it to the whole world like these christians have come and you know uh, spread their bible uh, in fact there's a joke in africa that they took our land and they gave us the bible so why we hindus are not doing anything about spreading this uh, you know our vast knowledge to the world which is so good actually and it is so true like every word what i read and what i hear 
is uh, makes sense it's not only uh, it's not a dharam it's very very logical so i feel we should do that and why is it not happening because hindu population there's only one hindu nation in the whole world which is nepal even india is not a hindu nation it is very shocking and i think something should be done about it thank you thank you lata ji uh, i'll tell you in my opinion here uh, hindu uh, dharma is called as a sanatan dharma so um, it is eternal it doesn't have a start something which is new it needs to be like you know propagated so christianity was a new religion we know when it was born or even islam it was a new religion and then they didn't have any followers so it was necessary for them to you know go about propagating that religion and converting people and uh, increasing the number of uh, christians or increasing the number of uh, muslims but that was not the case ever with the very ancient uh, dharma so that was not the case with uh, hindu that was not the case with the parsis that was not the case with the greeks so even in the ancient times when we see that you know alexander comes to persia he doesn't want to make them uh, per, uh, greek or uh, the same way like you know so all these ancient cultures there they don't have any uh, feature in them to uh, convert somebody else so that is now that remains only in the hindu religion today so that is one thing another thing is uh, uh, to be a, a christian or to be a, a muslim there is a very precise definition so to be a christian you have to believe in these five things you have to believe in god you have to believe in jesus that he was a prophet he was born from a virgin mother and you have to believe in resurrection and the last day of judgment etc so if you are believing in those uh, four five things you are a christian the uh, same will go with uh, islam as well these are the five things you have to do as a muslim but when you speak about hindu no there is no such definition which will tell you know if you are doing this then you are a hindu or if you are not doing this you are not a hindu so it is really difficult to uh, like you know convert somebody and say okay now tumhare mathe pe tilak laga diya hai aap hindu ban gaye it is not not so easy it is just a way of living it's a culture it's a sanskruti and uh, what we can really do is we can simply keep on talking about what we have and keep on giving it to the world so today we have this uh, yoga day so this is one darshan from the hindu dharma which has gone all over the world and all over the world it has been accepted so similarly we know we simply need to keep on speaking about what we have that is what i think is uh, propagating it is propagating the thoughts it is not propagating the religion it is speaking these thoughts and teachings this dipali you uh, quoted from the old testament but uh, actually uh, a christian would tell you that you know the old testament has been superseded by the new testament and that jesus came to fulfill the laws of moses not to destroy them okay uh, right so how would you uh, react to this fact and mm-hmm. secondly uh, i think the definition of sin in christianity is very different in the sense of original sin right which yeah. is the key yeah. so could you please elaborate on these two points because the bible also says that you should not steal you should not lie you should honor your father and mother and so on in exodus 
So, you know, there is a qualitative difference. Can you explain these two things? Yes, yes. First part where you said that uh, New Testament supersedes the Old Testament, that is not the case. Because uh, Jesus himself says that I have come to fulfill what the Old Testament says. So, Old Testament is valid. And uh, if you look at all the uh, various sects of Christianity, all of them, they accept this Old Testament. So, it is a part of the Bible. So, the uh, Bible is not just the New Testament. It comes with the Old Testament as well. So, uh, that is uh, one thing. The second uh, the thing that you mentioned was about the sin, the original sin, right? So, uh, many uh, philosophers in the later times from 3rd century onwards, they had been uh, debating and trying to like, you know, understand what exactly the sin is. And then they came up with these so many things. They have the original sin, which is the sin which was uh, committed by Adam and Eve, that is called as the original sin. And then every person who is born a Christian is born in that sin. So even before the uh, fetus has uh, done, there is only one birth basically in Christianity. So before being born, before doing anything at all, the uh, baby is a sinner. So uh, every every person is born in that sin. And because everyone is a sinner, uh, he has to or she has to, they, they have to believe that Jesus Christ had given up his life or he has suffered for the sins of humanity, for the sins of mankind. So that is also another belief, which is again around this sin. And it creates so many problems. It creates problems because Jesus has uh, suffered 2000 years ago for the sins of the humanity. So then what about the people who were born before Jesus? So that is a question which like, you know, uh, people have been thinking about and writing about it. They also had this question about like, you know, what about Gandhiji? Gandhiji was such a great person, but he was not a Christian. So what, what happens to him? So uh, they said that however good he was, he would have gone to hell because he did not believe in Christ. Then there is this some uh, sect of Christianity uh, who uh, baptized Mahatma Gandhi after his death posthumously. And then they declared that now that he is a Christian, he has a place in uh, heaven for him. So there, there is a lot of like, you know, there are so many questions about this and those are not really answered well. Thank you for your answer. But uh, my concerns about the relative position of the New Testament versus the Old mm -hmm. still stand because you see in the New Testament, for instance, the prohibition against eating swine mm -hmm. is completely done away with. Mm -hmm. The requirement for circumcision is completely done away with, which mm -hmm. is the sign of the covenant. Yeah, these were these were so, the very so, early so, debates so, in Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's very clear that there is an element of supersession when you come to the New Testament as opposed to the old, because the old can. Uh, there is a reason it's called old, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There, there might be a couple of cases, you know, where they will say that, uh, as as you have uh, described about circumcision that is has been superseded in the new testament but uh, the basic philosophy what is uh, told in the old testament it holds because when you start looking at the history of christianity post fourth century you will see that they are doing exactly all those things which have been told in uh, uh, old testament 
Dipaliji, I'll probably continue the, uh, you know, the question that Tanya ji asked in the beginning. You know, she talked about how the society is confused between Kriya and Karma, which means if degeneration is a is a very strong or a very harsh word, something like this is happening to the society. Do you think it is because today everyone wants to talk about their rights, their adhikar, and not about the karma? Even our constitution talks about I have the right to do this, I have the right to you know propagate my religion. And uh, if that is happening, what do you think is the way forward? Just your opinion. Uh, 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 can you please repeat the last line? From karma to adhikar. And if you look at our own, uh, you know, uh, our traditions, it is about if the daughter, uh, you know, uh, follows the karma of towards the mother, you know, kartavya towards the mother, towards the parents, then ultimately the adhikar comes with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you think, what, so where is the society going and what do you think would be the turnaround for us? Just your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you pointed out so well, Jashwada ji, that uh, the Indian uh, dharma, dharma, the word itself, it speaks of duty and responsibility. It uh, speaks about accountability. And uh, everything that has been uh, taught to us is like, you know, what is the, as I said earlier, Raja dharma. So Raja dharma is what are the things that the Raja should do or the Pitru dharma or the Putra dharma. So all of these things are what you are supposed to do, what are your duties. And whereas in this uh, modern thinking, we speak about rights. So everything, even our constitution is based around the rights. Whereas the old thinking is that when everybody is fulfilling his or her role and everyone is doing his or her work, his or her duties, then automatically the rights are, um, what do you say? Uh, people get their rights as well. And that happens automatically. So this was, this was a wonderful thing that you pointed out and that is very right. So unless we go back to taking responsibilities, unless we uh, start going back to taking responsibility, saying like, as a citizen, what are the things that I should do? And in my small way, when I start contributing towards uh, the nation, then I think things will change. So just being the change that we want to see, so we start taking up just duties and not... Uh, you know, uh, speaking about rights, but speaking about duties. Very beautifully put. So we should not look for the government to make these changes. It has to be a grassroots change. You know, we need to change and the society will change. Government will follow, you know, they any which way. will do what the nation wants. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you very much. Thanks to all the listeners for listening to me patiently and to Sangam Talks for giving me this opportunity. Mm -hmm.